Well, you can turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 119. Psalms 119, verse 11. And we're going to jump right in to Psalms 119, verse 11. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the privilege we have to study your word, to to know your word. And this morning, I pray, God, you'd speak to each one of us. Lord, I pray that we would would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. God, we need you, we love you, and may we follow you more closely in 2019 like never before. Speak to us today, Father. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. You know, as a church community, we're launching into a new series and, uh, called First. First. And there's great power in what we start first in our life, right? Uh, what you give energy to first, it, it shows your priorities. Uh, what you, you do first, it, it shows what truly matters in your life, right? And oftentimes, first reveals if you're really going to like do your goals. Like many of you probably this year have written down some New Year's resolutions. How many of you have already failed any of those? Tell the truth, shame the devil, right? Thank you, Brittany, for the honesty, right? I see that hand, uh, right? Like, the, 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 hopefully the goal is you write, you write down your New Year's resolutions, and then what you do first shows if you actually believe in those New Year's resolutions, right? Uh, I recently read a note that Pastor Jake, my older brother, wrote to Joy Eugene, and in it he talked about 2019 where he was going to say goodbye to Cheeto Puffs. By the end of the letter, he said, who am I joking? Give me the Cheetos, right? (laughs) But first, what we do first has great significance, and I think in 2019, you're here, you're sitting in this room, whether it's the you've never crossed the threshold of a church or you've been a follower of Jesus for many years, I think there's something in every person here that's saying, God, I want you to be first. I want to follow you. And I think that's our mission is that in 2019, Jesus would be first. And so if, if, if we're going to decide what needs to be first and what we should do first, we've got to identify our goal. And I think this morning we'd agree if you've put your faith in Jesus that our goal as, as Christians is to be passionate Jesus followers. I think we're here because we say, God, I want to be a passionate follower of you. But then the next question is, if my goal is to be a follower of Jesus, what do I need to do and what do I need to put first? And I think our pathway to putting Christ first is taking the posture of a disciple. Taking the posture of a disciple. You see, in, in the days of Jesus and, and, and hundreds of years even before that, the Jewish people, they had rabbis. They were the teachers of the word of God, the law of God. 
And these rabbis would identify in young men as they were growing up. They would see something in certain young men, a, a certain aptitude, a, a certain ability to study God's word. And, and they would choose out of the crowd of young men, they would choose certain ones. And they would say, I want to, to, you to be my disciple. I want you to follow me. And, and, and I'm going to teach you how to live and walk like I do. But there was another thing is that that young person had to also want to be discipled by that person. They had to want, because here's what it meant. If I followed a rabbi, I was saying, by virtue of saying I will follow you, I was saying I want every part of my life to look like this person. I want the way they interpret the law of God, that's how I want to interpret the law of God. The way they eat, I want to eat like that. The way they love their wife, that's how I want to love my wife. Or if you were a man, for me, my husband. Uh, if, right? Every part of their life, they would say, if I'm going to follow you, I want to live and look like you. And there was this point we know in the Bible where Jesus comes to a group of fishermen and he says, hey, follow me and I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. Or in, he was saying, follow me and I'm going to make you to become a disciple. And when they followed, they were saying, I want everything I am to look like you. And there was a posture or a position that disciples would often take in this time. You see, when they would come to the rabbi, the teacher, and the teacher would teach, the disciples would kneel before that teacher, hungry and eager, hanging on every word they spoke. And their posture would say, who you are, I want to be. What you have, I want to have. The way you live, the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you love, the way you pray, the way you serve, I want that. I think as we come to 2019 and we say, Lord, the goal is I want to be a passionate follower of you, Jesus. I think we start by taking the posture of a disciple. And how do we live and love and look like Jesus? It starts with diving into this beautiful, holy book, the living word of God. And so in 2019, may we as a community of Jesus followers, may we grab this book like never before, whether you've never opened it in your whole life, that's okay. Or you've read it more times than you can count. I believe God wants to speak afresh to us. As I was meditating on knowing I was going to be speaking on, on the word of God, I began to be so humbled as I thought about this beautiful book because I can come here and I can give you a lot of points and, and for all of you studious people that have your pens out, God bless you, you will get your points. <laughs> but I began to think about this word and realizing it truly is a treasure in my life. I can't tell you how many times in my life, in the greatest moments of joy, God's word has been there, and in the moments when I could hardly read it with tears in my eyes, his word's been there. I can't tell you how many times in moments of crisis it's been God's word, the first words that came. When sitting in a coffee shop getting the phone call as I sat with my brother Johnny and we get the phone call, your dad's having a heart attack right now and both of us, as we receive this call, our Bibles are open. And 
It was God's word we began to cling to and declare in that moment. I was thinking about literally just last weekend as one of my closest friends, Melanie, is texting me that baby Harper was to be flown to Portland in an emergency flight, and we're crying out for her life. And what words could I give her but the words of God? and began to declare, even in the hospital, that she would live in speaking words of life. This word is an anchor for the soul. It is hope. It is life. It is joy. It is truth. It is beautiful. And somewhere in the middle of your coffee cup, as you drink your coffee and read the word, that's what I do, your life has changed. So this morning... I think like the psalmist in the words we just read of Psalms 119, I think he had a similar love for God's word. A love like you have for God's word. And I think that as we look at this psalmist writing in Psalms 119, there's a few ways we as disciples must approach the word of God. So how do we approach God's word in 2019? I think first we approach God's word humble. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 119.11, he said, Your word, O God, have I hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Other versions say, Your word have I stored up in my heart. There was this humility in the psalmist as he writes to recognize, I cannot live this life of faith apart from your words, O God. I can't do this in my own strength. I need your word. It takes humility. As we approach this life and we say, God, I want to look like you, we must humbly come to his word and recognize, I can't do anything without you. When you think about Jesus in the face of temptation, when the devil came to him, his words in Matthew 4, 4, he speaks to the enemy and he says, but Jesus told him, no, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If this is true, if God's word is, is, is what sustains us, then it takes great humility to come to his word and say, God, I can't even live or breathe apart from your word. It is my sustenance. It is my delight. It is my strength. It is the guide and compass and foundation of all that I am, all that I am. George Whitfield, he He said this about the word of God. He said, I began to read the holy scriptures upon my knees, laying aside all other books and praying over, if possible, every line and word. And this proved meat indeed and drink indeed to my soul. I daily received fresh life, light, and power from above. I think that's a really good practice is when we approach the word of God to daily go Lord, would you, would you speak to me in every word? Would you show me what you want me to do with your word? Elizabeth Elliot spoke these words. She said, the word of God I think of as a straight edge, which shows up our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of scripture. Isn't that the truth? 
that you can feel, we can feel like we're a perfectly lined up life until we come to God's word and oftentimes we see, that is pretty stinking thinking, isn't it? But it takes humility to recognize we serve a good father and that his word comes to gently correct and reprove and align our life to his ways. But it's with humility that I come and say, God, my thinking is terrible. But I'm going to hide your word in my heart, and I'm going to let your word adjust. So here's our practical piece this morning. Is that as we come in humility, would we daily ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word? To give us soft hearts and ready ears? And would we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal our crooked thinking? And then give us the game plan to see it straightened out. Amen? I believe the second way we're to approach God's word is hungry. Is hungry. You see, to learn, I must be teachable. Every one of you just got a picture of that person that's not teachable, did you not? You just thought of that person. You're like, if they only would have listened to me, you know? What? <laughs> Tell the truth. You, got a, you have a picture in your head, right? <laughs> and then we all need to realize, actually, it's my picture that needs to be there, right? Hungry, to learn, you must be teachable. The psalmist writes in Psalms 119.12, he talks about, uh, teach me your way. Psalms 119, I praise you, O Lord, teach me your decrees. The psalmist who wrote Psalms 119 11 times in this one chapter of scripture, 11 times asks God to teach him. Teach me, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. In eight of those 11 times, it referred to him asking God to teach him his statutes or his ways. This psalmist is coming eager, hungry to learn with great hunger saying, I want to know your word. I want to know your ways. I want to know who you are. Do you know that the hunger is powerful? Hunger in the things of God is amazing. And if you need to understand hunger, uh, uh, the power of hunger is just be hungry around a Sicilian. Right? My grandma's here. And uh, you, you ask, my mom is Sicilian. If you come into her home hungry, it's like the heavens parted, the angels are singing, and revival is about to break loose because hungry means you're about to get a feast. Like, she, she is fueled by hunger. The more hungry you are, it's like a challenge to her Sicilianness. You're hungry? Let me get you the hors d'oeuvres first. Let me get you the pasta second. Let me pretend like we're going to eat healthy and throw some salad into there because we're going to eat more pasta. <laughs> hunger, I think God is attracted to hunger. When we come with the heart that says, teach me your ways, teach me your law, God, teach me your heart. We see in the life of Jesus and his disciples that as they walked with him and they would ask him questions, he would teach them, and he would reveal things to them. Hunger is powerful. You know, I remember when I was about eight or nine weeks pregnant last year, and uh, one, one day Riley comes home from work, opens the fridge, and all of a sudden he pulls out this bag of this glorious thing called Kirkland Steak Strips. See, there's beef jerky, and then there's steak strips. And... Um, Beef jerky, you know, thin, but steak strips, it's just like you're just eating like a steak. Anyone had these? 
And Riley opens them, and typically I only buy him steak strips um, like for his birthday or some glorious occasion, but this is just an ordinary like January day, maybe December, and, and he's like, what are these for? And I'm like, oh, I was at Costco, and they looked so good. I had to have steak strips. See, when I, was, when I was pregnant, the one craving I had, I could not get enough meat. I was like a meat fiend. And it was the best months of Riley's life because I would come home and I'm eating steak strips. He's like, oh yeah, that's totally fine. You can buy steak strips. You know, he's like, thank you, Lord. In like the same week, I'm like, hey, I was like, steak sounded so good. I bought steak. Is that okay if we have it for dinner? He's like, yeah, that's great. You know, and then like not even a week later, I'm like, can we have steak again for dinner? He's like, thank you, God. You know, it wasn't pickles, it was steak. And I remember in that moment that this, there was this hunger inside of me that I could not, it was like the more meat I got, the more meat I wanted. This craving that could not be quenched. I think in 2019, God wants to awaken a craving and a hunger for his word that we're just like, give me more, feed me, Lord. I, I love your word. It's life to me. Teach me your ways. Teach me your laws. Teach me your heart. Show me how to live. I, I'm hungry for you. Are you guys? Okay, John Wesley said, oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be homo unius libri. That sounds intense. A man of one book. May we be hungry. God, give me your book, your word, your life. So here's our practical piece. Is that every one of us, here is our prayer as a church, is that each one of us would begin to daily read God's word. Every day. Um, did you know, and they actually have a slide, but if you would dedicate just 12 minutes of your day, you could read the entire Bible in 2019. 12 minutes. That's all it takes. 12 minutes. And you can look there if you want to get real, real wild and read the Bible in one week. You only have to read the Bible for 10 hours and 38 minutes this week every day. <laughs> um, if you wanted to read the Old Testament one time through this year, it would only take you nine minutes a day. You can read the whole New Testament this year, it would simply take you three minutes a day. What in your day, what in our day could we just delay for 12 minutes? Start the day out and just say, Lord, I'm gonna give you at least 12 minutes of my day. Listen to it, you could listen to it, you could read it, you could have somebody to have a friend read it to you, please call me. Whoever has the best voice in the church and have them call you and read it, right? Have like Pete Miller. Can you please read the Bible, Pete? <laughs> 12 minutes. What if we this year, you could, and uh, yeah, sound good? All right. Thirdly, I believe we're to approach God's word hands-on, living the word. You see, God's word was never meant to just be learned but it was meant to be learned to be lived. And when I learn God's word, when I read God's word, it has daily implications for my life. It's meant to be lived out. It's meant to be meditated on. It's meant to be uh, put into my world. And the psalmist was writing 
And in Psalms 119, we see this, this theme that he wanted God's word to live in him, to be put into action. We see in Psalms 119, verse 13, that we are to speak God's word out. It should be on our lips, ready to be spoken. In, in Psalms 119, verse 15, he says, I will, it's meant to be studied. He said, I will study your commandments. I'm going to give diligence to, to studying and learning it. In the same verse, he goes on to say, and reflect on your ways. God's word is meant to be meditated on. In fact, we know some, some uh, meanings of this word meditate is even to mumble it to yourself. It should just be constantly, your word, Lord, have I hidden in my heart. God, you're with me. Your word is in my heart. Meditate. It should just continually be lived in our mind and our lives. And then in verse 7 of Psalms 119, it's meant to be lived out. It said, as I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will thank you. How is our response to God's word? God, I'm going to say thank you by living it. By living it, by doing it, right? How many of you know, like, your kids can be like, Mom, I love you so much. You're like, go clean your room. Do it. and <laughs> Clean that room. And I know you love me, Right? The response to God's word should this overwhelming, Lord, I want to live out your word hands on. John Wesley had this group of people he did life with, this community of guys. And they would ask themselves 22 questions every day. They would ask themselves and be ready to give an answer to at any point to these guys. And two of the 22 questions were this. They would ask themselves daily. Did the Bible live in me today? Did the Bible live in me today, and do I give the Bible time to speak to me every day? You see, the goal is, by the end of the day, we should look and say, God, your word lived in me. It showed up in my real life. It showed up in how I loved my family and served those around me and reached out to my neighbors and responded to temptation. And It should show up in my generosity. Did your word live in me today. And so in 2019, what if our, our practical piece would be that we daily even write God's word out, we journal, and we just begin to say, how can God's word live in me today? What is God speaking to me today? And how can I live that out in my daily life? You guys okay? So I'm going to invite Johnny up here. And as this plan is nearing the end, we see that we're to approach God's word humbly, hungry, and hands-on. But what happens when we encounter this word and we spend time in this word? Well, the first thing I think that happens, how we're changed by God's word, is that it transforms our head, our heart, and our hands. God's word will transform our head, our heart, and our hands. It will change. We will grow in knowledge. We will grow in relationship with Jesus. And it will transform the way we live out and use our hands in our daily life. When I go to God's word, I'm changed in my thinking. I'm changed in my walk with him, and I'm changed in my walk towards others. But I think something so beautiful as I meditate upon God's word Something so powerful happens 
when you daily get away to read God's word is we behold Jesus and we are changed. At some point in, in, in the morning, groggy-eyed Natalie stumbles out of bed and with no goosebumps and no like awesome worship team in my living room, I do have YouTube worship, so it's kind of like they're there. Doesn't seem like anything magical or powerful, but in this moment as I sit there and sometimes I read these words and they don't always make sense and sometimes I'm like, Jesus, where are you at in Leviticus? Because it's just weird. I'm having a struggle right here, you know? And when you're like in First Chronicles and you're reading seven billion names and you're like, I don't even care who this dude is. I can't even say his name. Why do I need to read it, you know? But something powerful happens in this place. And as you read these words, you begin to see the plan of God and the love of God and the story of God and the purpose of God. And you behold Jesus. And you're changed. And suddenly in Genesis, we see that you find Jesus, the creator and promised redeemer. And we find Jesus in the book of Exodus as the Passover lamb. And in Leviticus, we find him as the high priest. And in Numbers, we see Jesus, the water in the desert. And in Deuteronomy, we find Jesus. He becomes the curse for us. And we see his plan in Joshua. He's the commander of the army of the Lord. And in Judges, we find him who delivers us from injustice. And we find Jesus in the book of Ruth when we see him, our kinsman redeemer. And in the book of 1 Samuel, we find find Jesus all in one. He is the prophet, priest, and king. In 2 Samuel, we find him the king of grace and love. And in 1 Kings, he reveals himself as a ruler greater than Solomon. In 2 Kings, the powerful prophet. In 1 Chronicles, the son of David that is coming to rule. In 2 Chronicles, the king who reigns eternally. In Ezra, we find Jesus, the priest, proclaiming freedom. In Nehemiah, we find Jesus, the one who restores what is broken down. In Esther, we find Jesus, the protector of his people. In Job, we find the mediator between God and man. In Psalms, he is our song in the morning and in the night. And in Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, we understand our meaning for life. In Song of Solomon, he's the author of faithful love. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, we find Jesus in the weeping Messiah. In Lamentations, he assumes God's wrath for us. In Ezekiel, we encounter Jesus, the son of man. In Daniel, the stranger in the fire with us. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband even when we run away. In Joel, he is sending his spirit to his people. In Amos, we see he delivers justice to the oppressed. In Obadiah, he's the judge of those who do evil. In Jonah, he's the greatest missionary. In Micah, he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. In Nahum, he proclaims future world peace we cannot even imagine. In Habakkuk, he crushes injustice. In Zephaniah, the warrior who saves. In Haggai, he restores our worship. In Zechariah, he prophesies a Messiah who will be pierced for us. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness who brings healing. In Matthew, it's the Messiah who is king. Mark, the Messiah who is a servant. In Luke, the Messiah who is a deliverer. In John, the Messiah who is a God in the flesh. In Acts, he's the spirit who dwells in his people. In Romans, the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, the power and love of God. In 2 Corinthians, he's the down payment of what's to come. In Galatians, he is our very life. In Ephesians, the unity of our church. Philippians, the joy of our life. In Colossians, he holds the supreme position in all things. 
In 1 Thessalonians, he's our comforter in the last days. 2 Thessalonians, our returning king. I gotta breathe. In 1 Timothy, savior of the worst sinners. In 2 Timothy, he's the leader of the leaders. In Titus, he's the foundation of truth. In Philemon, our mediator. In Hebrews, we see Jesus, our high priest. In James, he is the one who matures our faith. In 1 Peter, our hope in times of suffering. In 2 Peter, the one who guards us from false teaching. In 1 John, he's the source of all fellowship. 2 John, he's the God in all the flesh. In 3 John, he's the source of all truth. In Judy, protects us from stumbling and in revelation he's the king of kings and the lord of lords the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end he's the coming again and the one who makes all things new somewhere in that living room you behold jesus our savior he's in every book he's in every page and he wants to speak he wants to meet with us when we feel like it, when we don't feel like it, we behold Jesus, our King, who we see from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, made a way for each of us to have relationship with him. And I'll close with this story. Friday, I was at home alone with Wesley, my five-month-old, and I had dinner about three-fourths of the way cooked. I had a basket of clean clothes ready to be folded, a dishwasher loaded with clean dishes that needed to be emptied. And I had my plan. I was ready. I was like, I'm a task person. I like things done. And I was like trying to like fold laundry and do the cooking and all this stuff and like trick Wesley into being happy on the couch sitting there watching me. It didn't work. And the only thing he wanted was me to hold him and sit with him. And finally I realized like Nat, the most important place you can be in the whole world right now is on that couch holding your five month old. Wesley. So my dinner stayed and the dishes stayed and the laundry still was in the basket. And I sat there holding Wesley. And I was reminded all of a sudden that many of us, we come to our day, we approach it and we've got all this stuff we're going to do. And our Savior waiting to reveal himself through his word. And the reality is the most important place we can be is putting everything aside for a moment and sitting at the feet of Jesus, making space and room for him to reveal himself to us. And my prayer for 2019 for us Joy Church is wherever you are in your journey of faith, each of us would take the posture of a disciple. The laundry can wait. It does have to get done eventually. But Jesus, you're the, you're the treasure, you're the prize, you're the joy. Here I am. Let's take the posture of a disciple in 2019. Would you stand to your feet, church? If you would just close your eyes and, and bow your head. 
all over this room, there's people that came to this place and you are looking for life. You're looking for hope, salvation. And you came to the right place because today you are hearing about our God, our Savior, Jesus, who made a way for us to have life and relationship. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't earn his love. We can't do enough good things to pay for our sin. But Jesus came and he took our sin. He took our shame. He took our punishment. And he made a way for relationship. And the way we access that free gift is simply by believing in Jesus. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. And so if you came to this place and you say, I need Jesus. I want to put Jesus first in my life. I don't want to put my faith in him that he alone can save me. And you came to this place looking for life. And you want to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior right now with every eye closed, every head bowed. If you want to give your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, just lift your hand wherever you are. From the back to the front, I see that hand. Every person here that came looking for life, see that hand, looking for hope. Just lift your hand right now. No one's looking. Just give your heart to Jesus today. You're saying, man, I need Jesus to save me. I need him to rescue me. I can't do this on my own. Just lift your hand wherever you are today. You're putting your faith, I see that hand, your trust in Jesus alone to save, that he alone can bring hope. I see that hand. He alone can bring, come on, every person here that's saying, Jesus, I need you to save me. Last call, every person here. For the rest of us, we're just going to all pray together with each person here that lifted their hand. Let's just pray this prayer, church. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I put my faith in you alone that only you can save me. You are the God of me. You are the Lord of me. Wash me of my sins. Give me a brand new life. And help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we give them a hand? Every person that... For the rest of us, as we close this morning, I believe God is calling each of us to a fresh, a fresh surrender of taking on the posture of a disciple. The whether you say, man, I, I've been a follower of Jesus for decades and decades, or maybe today you just put your trust in Jesus. Wherever you are in the spectrum, wherever any of us are, that today we'd come and say, God, I want to meet with you afresh in your word. I want to spend time in your word and behold you, Jesus, every day. And so today, if you just feel God stirring your heart to say, I'm taking that surrender afresh. I'm, I'm taking the posture of a disciple. If that's your prayer this morning, would we just lift our hands, church, and we're just going to ask the Lord for his help. Every one of us are just saying, Lord, I'm taking on the posture of a disciple. Lord, I want to learn afresh from your word. God, I thank you for your sons and your daughters. God, I thank you for your people. Lord, I thank you that this is a house of people who love you, God, who have been transformed by you, and who, Lord, afresh, we want to 
take on the posture of a disciple, to learn from you, to walk with you, to learn from your ways. Jesus, we want to look like you. We want to live like you. We want to love like you. We want to be your hands and feet on this earth. So Lord, would you speak to your people? Would you help us to encounter you every single day? I thank you, Lord, you're no respecter of people, Lord, that you wanna speak to every person in this room. God, you wanna reveal yourself afresh through your word. We love you, Jesus. We give you praise in Jesus' name, amen.